Hello and welcome, Kevin Zuba. Thanks for having me, David. I look uh, look forward to our discussion together here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Kevin, tell us everything that we need to know about you in 60 seconds. Uh, well, I am husband to Diane, uh, father to two grown sons, David and Christopher. Uh, recently, we just uh, added a, a member of the family. My son, Christopher, uh, was married on November 11th. Uh, oh, so, great. yeah. First daughter-in-law, Katie. Uh, I I tell people uh, I don't have a favorite son, but if it was, it would be my daughter-in-law, Katie. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, so uh, I have I have uh, been in ministry since uh, well for the last forty-five years. Actually, I was uh, went to Grace Theological Seminary. I pastored churches for eighteen years, small churches. Uh, then uh, the Lord led me to the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I was there for 17 years. Uh, while I was there, I pastored a church for 13 of those 17 years. So, And then uh, the Lord called me in 2018 here to the Master's Seminary, where I am professor of theology and now chairman of the theology department here at uh, Master's. So um, I guess that's... Uh, that's it. That's under 60 seconds, but uh, yeah, spot on. So, you did are. you know Phil Johnson? Because Phil, Phil worked at uh, Moody as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Didn't he? Phil, uh, I, I, uh, I, I got to know Phil from the many times that I came out to the Shepherds Conferences uh, over the years. And uh, Phil Johnson's son, Jeremiah Johnson, was in my in one of my classes at uh, Moody Bible Institute, uh, where <laughs> Phil himself had attended. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I know Phil Johnson. I am actually, uh, I saw, I've seen a few of your uh, podcasts. I am actually Mike Riccardi's boss. He's a professor of the theology department now as well. So, uh, yes. yeah, we probably have a number of different uh, uh, connections. I know that uh, uh, you've, you've had uh, uh, Steve Lawson on. I watched that podcast. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, Steve, you know, he we have uh, a nodding acquaintance, maybe a little bit more than that. We see each other frequently on the campus there. So uh, I'm I'm yeah, connected with a few of the other guys you had on. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's some good brothers there, Kevin, for sure. Yeah. So, Kevin, take us back to the beginning. How and when did you become a Christian? Well, um, that's a that's a long story, as most testimonies are, but I'll try and keep it short. When I was in high school, I met a young lady who was uh, who attended a, a Bible teaching church, and uh, I was a good Lutheran boy, good good <laughs> Lutheran boy, and uh, so uh, we dated uh, during high school uh, years. I went off to college and uh, came back, and uh, during that time, we we corresponded, uh, but. Uh, this was before email or anything. So this was like snail mail going back and forth. And she indicated to me that, that there was no prospect of a long-term relationship because I wasn't a Christian and that's what she wanted to have, which as a Lutheran, I was mystifying to me. But well, uh, she had witnessed to me many times. Her mother had witnessed uh, to me a number of times as well. Well, after high school, uh, I happened to run into her again. Well, uh, I knew she was going to go play tennis 
with some friends. So I just happened to show up there at the same time. And she was ready for it again. And she uh, she brought uh, a little book, a little tract, uh, the uh, Child Evangelism. Uh, if you're familiar with that, I don't know if you are there in the UK, but Child Evangelism has a little tract. It's the wordless book. It's just colors. And you go through the colors, uh, black for your sin, uh, red for the blood of Christ, uh, white for your heart once uh, Christ has uh, cleansed it. And uh, she was going through that uh, with me uh, at this uh, accidental meeting. And um, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, anybody that's come to faith in Christ kind of understands. But at this point, I started getting it. I mean, this was clearly the spirit working. I didn't know that. But suddenly I started thinking more deeply about my sin, started realizing where my life was headed at the time. I had I'd been a year in college, but then had sort of dropped out of that. I was just working, going nowhere. My life was not following things. I was religious, but that was getting thinner and thinner as time went on. And I could really see the trajectory of my life and when she talked about sin, that was like, that scared me. Uh, I started getting that then. And she talked about the fact that I was separated from God and that scared me even more. And so as I sat, sat there and thought about it and she was talking again, sort of no longer thinking about this girl that I had come to see, but starting to think about the issues she was talking about. Uh, uh, I realized that uh, what she had, was something that I thought I had and I didn't. And uh, I genuinely came to realize, I came to more than just regret where my sin was taking me. I came to be very, again, frightened of that, scared about where my sin was, realizing how the depth of my sin and and what that meant in terms of a relationship with God. And so, uh, again, at that point, without realizing all of the you know, the details theologically that I later came to to realize what was happening there. The Lord really did open my heart, uh, open my eyes, and I trusted Christ uh, right there and started attending her church, Bible teaching church, very different from the Lutheran church that I was familiar with. Uh, I was baptized in that church. Uh, then, uh, long story short, uh she went off to college for a semester, came back home. We got married. Uh, I, we, we moved then back to her, the college that she had attended so I could study the Bible because I didn't know anything about the Bible at all, really. I could tell you about the 95 theses, but I couldn't really yeah. tell you about the Bible. <laughs> Good Lutheran boy. Uh, but uh, the, uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's it. Then um, we spent the 12 years there, and, uh, my growing in grace. And then when the time came for me to graduate from college, I was told, you need to go to seminary. They had a seminary right there. And I thought, okay, uh, <laughs> kind of loved it. So yeah. I went to seminary yeah. and, and uh, that's kind of how the Lord has led me uh, since. So, Wow. How soon did you call, feel the call to ministry, Kevin? Well, that's, that's another thing, David. I mean, you know, people talk about call to ministry. I'm not, I'm not sure I did. Uh, like I say, I had a professor in college that said, you know, you, you know, I did well enough in my studies. You should go to seminary. So I did. I went to seminary. I didn't know what I was going to do with that, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed right, the right. lifestyle. I mean, you know, it was just me and my wife for the first 12 years of our marriage. And we, I enjoyed going to school. I enjoyed studying scripture. I enjoyed studying the languages. And so uh, I did that when I was finishing my MDiv, 
uh, one of my professors said, you need to get a THM. So I said, okay. <laughs> so I started doing that. I started getting opportunities to preach uh, in various uh, small churches. It was in Indiana. So I started preaching and everybody, you know, responded favorably to that. Uh, a small church needed a pastor that they couldn't pay. Uh, I was uh, introduced to that church. Would you be our pastor? We can't pay you. I said, okay. Uh, my next pastorate was the same thing. People came to me and said, hey, we realize you're in a church where you're not getting paid. We'll pay you. Would you like to come here? <laughs> so I did. Uh, and that's kind of the way it's been, David, all the way through. I, I've never put in an application. I tell my students, it doesn't happen this way. The Lord has to yeah. push me into the next thing. But yeah. uh, when I moved from the pastorate to uh, Moody, they contacted me. That never happens. When I moved out here, I went to have a conversation with uh, John MacArthur. And at the end of that conversation, I was invited to come to the master's seminary. So, you know, the, I, I having a call, I, I, I guess I have because the Lord has blessed. The Lord has led me into things. And I've, I've had a you know, great life and great ministry. But in terms of feeling like I, I've had a call, uh, I just do the next thing, you know, I mean, I'm like Abraham's servant. I being in the way the Lord led me. So <laughs> I just get, I, the Lord just opens up a door and says, go here. Okay. That's what I do. Yeah. 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 Great. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's great to hear. You, you've just put out a, a new book titled heaven and hell. How did you come to write this one, Kevin? Well, here at the master's, uh, seminary, we have a program uh, called the Institute of Christian Life, ICL. And uh, those are a series of uh, short video classes. Uh, you can go on the TMS website and look for educational resources, and then it'll show you Institute for Christian Life. And you can, uh, you have these videos, you can earn different certificates. You can take, you know, listen to five or watch five video series, uh, five classes, they'll get a certificate of Christian life or or, you know, uh, Christian doctrine, something like that. So we do these videos. Well, Dr. Peter Sammons, who uh, just, by the way, you should ask Peter Sammons to, to be on your podcast. He's another one of a uh, master's guys. But uh, Peter Sammons is, took this is spearheading getting books written for that go along with this Institute for Christian Life. And he asked me if I would do one. And we got to pick our own topics. So uh, I chose the the first in the series there's there's one another one out that i've got and we probably have what half a dozen more uh in this in the whole in series there but i chose the, the one on heaven and hell uh because uh well you know the the we can talk a little bit about what is personal eschatology but it i really think that that's a subject obviously pastors need to know about that uh, yeah, well, and more than just on a theological level, they should be able to give some answers to people uh, on those things. And it's always, again, one of the areas that when I teach systematic theology and I teach uh, eschatology, uh, that comes at the end and I usually run out of time. So uh, I had some great notes and, and done some good studies in it, but, uh, you know, I've never really had the opportunity to sort of get it uh, out there and certainly not published. So I uh, asked Dr. Sammons if I could write on that, and uh, and he said yes. And then I'm uh, so this is the book that I produced. I think it's helpful. And again, obviously, personal eschatology is something that uh, everybody has to face. 
with respect both to their own lives, obviously, but with the lives of others. Pastors, again, have to minister to people. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, I thought it would be a helpful uh, book to to write. Fantastic. And like you say, there's a video series that goes alongside this with yourself. And I actually got an email yesterday. I believe that these are actually half price at the moment. So <laughs> yeah. it's great timing. If you, I'll put a link. I'll make sure that there's a link in the description below. Wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast, it's a great time to check out both a video series and, and Kevin's book, where there'll be a link um, to in the description below yeah. as well. Kevin, you've, you've mentioned the phrase personal eschatology. It, it, that might be new to some people. Just explain to us what that actually is. Well, personal eschatology is related, obviously, to a larger field uh, in systematic theology. Eschatology comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means last. So it's a study of uh, end times. It's the study of last things, which is a study that has been abused both by its friends and its enemies, frankly. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we try, I try to bring some sanity to the study of uh, what the Bible actually reveals about uh, end times. And that would be issues about, you know, the second coming of Christ, uh, uh, the the issue of the kingdom, uh, judgments, and those kinds of things. Personal eschatology obviously has to do with uh, an individual, our individual part in that. What happens to us? Uh, first of all, everybody's going to face death. So death is a part of what personal eschatology is about, facing the issue of death. And then... Uh, a lot of, again, and a lot what's in the book is correcting false notions. Uh, many have risen over the years because obviously that's a question most human beings are going to ask. What's going to happen to me after I die? I know I'm going to die. What's going to happen? And, uh, you know, different religions, different uh, cults, different ideologies, just different personal ideas have arisen and so I thought it would be very helpful to sort of correct many of those kind of things. But then also for believers to sort of give them the what the Bible tells, because the Bible does tell us a lot about what happens to us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because uh, that's that obviously eternity is going to be uh, much longer than these short lives that we have now. So knowing about that, I thought would be very uh, helpful. So it tells us about what happens to us immediately after we die, deals with those kind of questions, deals with judgments that we're going to be facing. And uh, and some of the things that, again, modern culture tries to ignore altogether uh, in yeah. terms of uh, dealing with this particular issue. So those kind of, those are the issues. Yeah, so helpful. We're going to cover a few of those um, false um, understandings as well as uh, the, the truthful ones that we find in Scripture as well. Considering that we're all going to experience death uh, one day, Kevin, most people tend to spend very little time thinking about what happens when we do die. Talk us through what the Bible teaches us about the process of death. Well, that's uh, the 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 process of the process of death itself. Process, process. That's an English American sort of difference there. Uh, the process of death is something outwardly very similar. I mean, I don't think most people, in in terms of watching someone go through the throes of death or in the process of death, would see uh, a lot of different. Our bodies because of the curse are going are they decay we get older uh every every day uh at my age you know something else is, is like what's going on there uh i remember a quick story when i went in to get my eyes checked a number of years ago and realized i probably was going to need bifocals the uh 
I asked the uh, optometrist about it and uh, I said, you know, I'm having a hard time reading. He said, yeah, it's just the natural degenerative process. And I asked him a couple of other questions of things that was happening. And he just said the same thing. Yeah, it's just the natural degenerative process. <laughs> and I left there more depressed than I'd ever had uh, leaving the doctor's office. But it is. It's true. We all we all are going are going that way. So outwardly, again, the process looks the same. Even if we're facing we face diseases just like the unbeliever does. We face those kinds of things. But what's going on inside is very different. Uh, for, for the process of death for unbelievers is utter loss and without any kind of other hope that they know that this is why they don't talk about it and then why we do everything in our culture to stop talking about it. we 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 used to have uh, uh wakes or or uh, remembrance meetings or something in in our in our homes in the front parlor no 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 we can't do that anymore so we had it in the church and then no 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 you don't want to be putting uncle ab up on the communion table on a saturday and then taking communion from the same table on the next day so uh you know no no so we put that in a funeral home at a place we only go when we die and have to deal with death and we spend as little time as we possibly can in those places we do everything we can to ignore death the unbeliever and and some many believers too but they're doing it because they recognize that's utter loss. They're, they're, there's nothing that they can really anticipate. So for them, it's a terror. They, they, they look at it and, and do everything they can to try and avoid thinking about it because they, they just have, you know, it's, it's, it's something for them that they have no hope. Uh, and death for them is, is something, again, not only do they try to ignore it, sometimes they think of it as an escape. Well, if I could just die, that's Hamlet's question, you know, and the issue there was uh, even Hamlet came to realize, no, that's probably not a good choice. But some people that's, you know, some people dealing with people that are suicidal, you say, well, what do you think is going to happen? And well, they don't think about it. They, It's not it's not something that they, you know, have given enough consideration to. But for but the believer, it's inwardly, it's entirely different. It's not that it's, uh, you know, for the one one more thing for the unbeliever, it's just a, it's very, very sad because there's, you know, when someone not their own death, but when someone a loved one dies or someone dies, it's just it's just they have no answers for it. And usually, actually, it it's too late at that point to start asking questions. Uh, it's just the wrong time to start, uh, you know, at the funeral in front of the casket, you know, where do you think she is? Where do you think she's going? And it's just, it's just, I've been there. I've done funerals for unbelievers and it's just, uh, it's a great place to preach the gospel, frankly, but it's something where they, they they just, you can tell the the blankness for a believer. It's the opposite. Uh, Paul even says it's a gain and unbelievers have no clue about what that means for us. The process is itself of death. Dying is not hopeful, but, um, for us, it's not loss. It's uh, and this is where the different metaphors come in in scripture. Uh, we fall asleep. We go home. Uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. I mean, we have an entirely different perspective on death. We recognize that it's an enemy, but it's a conquered enemy. It's not something that we need to uh, fear. And that's why I wrote the book because some some believers still have that fear residual 
uh, from their their previous life or they haven't really thought about it. So I want to sort of bring them to the believer's perspective on this. We get to see yeah. Jesus. We, you know, yeah. we're going to be like him for we'll see him as he is. Uh, as I've gotten older, that's that's even a greater prospect than uh, than almost anything. I mean, to be yeah. finally done with my sin, not to mention the sin of everybody else, but yeah. to be done with my sin. Uh, what a prospect that 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 holds for me uh, and uh, and the fulfillment of the eternal life that I was promised when I you know came to faith in Christ just just completely different mindset through again the process we have this eternal perspective we think it through so it's not a fun thing I mean I'm, I'm like I've said I've, I've heard uh, a, a well-known preacher that I heard a number of years ago said I'm not looking forward to to dying, I am not afraid of death. Uh, and again, unbelievers have no clue what that means. They, they and they, they even, I've even said that to unbelievers, family members who are unbelievers, and they say, "You're lying. You, you, you can't really believe that." And uh, yeah. I, I, I try to get them to say, "No, that really is my perspective." Yeah. And in terms of timeline, the second that our, our, our heart stops beating. Are we then with the Lord? And then at what moment, what about judgment? Is there an accounting of our, is there a reckoning of our life at that point? And how does that kind of all work out, Kevin? At what point will that all happen? Well, again, you're into the sort of uh, part where, you know, we we see through, uh, you know, a a glass darkly here. So we we have these clues. Okay. So um, when we, for a believer, once we once we this body death is really a separation of the body and the soul there's three types of death there's the spiritual death where we're separated from god it happened with adam and eve in the garden and we've we're born in that condition ephesians 1 then there is the physical death which is the separation of the soul and the spirit our soul and the body rather sorry separation of the soul and the body and we Go to be with the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Uh, where two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. Well, he's already been here. So uh, I, I think it means a personal uh, awareness. It's a, we're going to be with the Lord. Uh, and I think I've seen paintings of, of people's imagination, you know, where they get to see Jesus and they're giving him a big hug. Uh, that would be nice. I'm not really sure. Again, that's a little too physical sort of sort of thing. So we get to, we we go into his presence. I think it's more relational than spatial is that uh, we get to, we come to the realization of our relational uh, reality with Christ. These are the images again, which are somewhat metaphorical. We we see him face to face. We, we get to be in his presence, these things. Uh, it's a, if anything, it's a state of, uh, blessedness again uh, it's a state of the final process of our saying our salvation which is glorification uh and uh, and then uh we do i think uh in my understanding of eschatology uh proper uh we do have to stand before the lord but not for a judgment in terms of our works paul talks about the bema seat judgment and i don't think that you know I don't think some people have the idea, well, we're going to replay, replay our entire life and you get to stand there and be embarrassed. <laughs> wow. 
that, that's hardly the image that I think is is being given there. I think what's there that's a, that's rewards. Uh, so I've always likened it to uh, graduation. Everybody graduates. Everybody's happy. Everybody gets a diploma. Some people get those little gold cords to wear as well. Uh, but uh, but even at that point, I don't think we're going to mean anything because that's all going to be cast at the feet of Christ uh, anyway. So we are acknowledged. The Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, and then we, you know, again, get to experience this uh, ongoing as as a community again, the bride of Christ, uh, the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and then that, that, that's, uh, that's the eternal state. We're going to, we're going to be in that. So uh, there is uh, the issue of where believers are during what I believe is the millennial kingdom on earth. Again, you know, I have students, we're, uh, you know, we're going to rule and reign with Christ, you know. And I said, well, what do you think that means? You know, that we get to be mayor of some small town in Palestine. I don't, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? We're, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. I said, I think of it as the as the court of Louis the Fourteenth. You know, when Louis said, I think we're going to do this. Everybody in the court went, yay, we're with you. <laughs> uh, I think that's how Christ is going to rule. So, uh, but what we're going to be doing, Revelation uh uh, four and five would indicate to me that worship is what we're going to be doing. We're going to get to worship. And uh, I tell people, what's heaven going to be like? I said, well, I think heaven's going to be like one long church service of worship that we will stop and take breaks in order to learn more theology. So we'll have more to worship God about. I said, so it's great. It's like, it's like, it's like seminary with chapel all the time, you know, and some people look at me blankly, like, what are we going to do? So I, you know, again, um, I think the bliss, the, 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 the wonder of being in the presence of God is going to exceed anything that we could possibly describe. You know, Spurgeon once said, we don't have detailed descriptions of heaven because if we knew exactly what it was like, we'd want to get there too early. Or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, for the unbeliever, it's complete, you know, the, the, the realization there, again, is beyond our ability to describe, I think, uh, the, their worst fears of utter loss. And I'm not even talking about even hell yet. The, their worst fears are, are realized and, uh, that they, what they, suppressed in unrighteousness uh romans 118 will come to the realization they're not going to be able to suppress it anymore and uh some will think they have made it again some of what jesus taught about the people who called him lord lord and and he's gonna have he will say depart from me can't think of any worse yeah. statement from our lord than that at that time yeah. that that has yeah. to be Utterly, utterly devastating. Uh, in my mind, worse as a realization than any kind of other, other punishment that's going to follow from that. They too will go through a judgment, uh, but their judgment will be utterly different than the believer's judgment. Their judgment will be uh, uh, the great white throne judgment, as it's described, and their judgment will be look at your life. They will be judged on the basis of their deeds, but their deeds are what reflects their heart, and they will. Uh, they will be without any kind of recourse or rebuttal. Uh, you didn't know the Lord. You chose not to know the Lord. 
uh, and now this you are separated from the Lord for from the Lord God for eternity. And uh, again, as as uh, unimaginable bliss heaven will be for Christian, can't even begin to describe how great it's going to be. Uh, that sort of loss is is again really hard to even contemplate, even as a believer. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. Uh, Kevin, what is the intermediate state, and how does that link to Shell or Hades? Well, the the again to go back to your question, what happens the moment our heart stops beating? Where do we go? Again, because we know that as I've just described it, there's going to be something of a process, uh, a time frame, if you will, uh, that I've outlined very briefly uh, in the previous answer. You know what? What's going to happen to people? Where are they until those judgments happen? What are they? What are they going to be doing? And uh, where do where do we go until the Lord comes again and we are raised with Him? Uh, and physically, I do believe in in bodily resurrection, and I believe all everyone's going to be raised physically. Uh, ultimately, everyone's going to have to go through that. But what happens in between? Well, this is the this is the issue of the intermediate state. Usually. Uh, People who try to answer that go to one text in particular, and that's Luke 16, where you have the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. In, in tradition, the rich man has been given a name, Dives, uh, which is related to a Latin term that just means rich. So uh, I don't think that was his name. but uh, And that describes, of course, uh, the, the conversation, uh, Lazarus, poor man who lived on the crumbs of the rich man uh, dies and then the rich man dies and the rich man finds himself in, in torment. Uh, and he can see that Lazarus is now in Abraham's bosom, which is a place uh, from intertestamental literature uh, that where the blessed will go in a Jewish tradition. And the rich man uh, in his torment has a conversation, not with Lazarus, but with Abraham. And uh, they go back and forth on on several things. Uh, the question is, is Jesus telling us a parable there that is attempting to give us the compartments of hell? Or is he telling us a parable not for the dead, but for the living that they need to, uh, if they are more like the, the rich man, they need to consider? Because the parable actually ends with the rich man saying, uh, well, Abraham, if, if I can't be helped here, at least send someone, send Lazarus to tell my brothers so that they won't come here. And I think the key to the whole parable is um, Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. If they will listen to that, uh, then there may be some hope for them. But he says, you know, they won't be converted even if someone rises from the dead. Yeah. So the issue there, the, the point of the parable is, you know, prepare for eternity now before you get there. Uh, it's not intended to teach us about the different compartments uh, in the afterlife. So um, that said, I think, uh, what does scripture indicate for us? Well, some of that, some of what underlies that understanding of the parable is the Hebrew word sheol. And sheol is a term that is quite flexible. Uh, one of the difficulties of Sheol is the fact that it's found frequently in the Psalms. 
of course, psalms are poetry, and poets have license to sort of take words in some way or indicate some things that uh, have some different meanings to them. Basically, the word just means grave. And uh, so when uh, someone in the Old Testament said I was, he was going to Sheol or to go to Sheol, it just was going to the grave, or it means he was going to die. Um, so in, in that day, people would be buried in tombs, uh, mausoleums, really, and multiple tombs. This is why this, the tomb where Jesus was laid was intended to be a family tomb. Uh, that uh, multiple generations could be laid in. I have a, I had a professor back in seminary who spent his summers digging around in old tombs that they would find in uh, in in Israel, and he said that it'd always be there'd be like a main slab where the the deceased would be laid out, and then they'd find a few bones on that one, you know, after the grave had been abandoned, and then they'd find a pile of bones over in the corner where succeeding generations would be uh, you know they just push the one off the you know the old set of bones and put the new one there so it gave new meaning to he was gathered to his fathers right i mean he's, they're all gathered right. over in the corner uh so again a place of corruption obviously like any graves it, grave is a place you don't want to think about going so uh, it just meant the grave and over time particularly because its association in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, used the Greek term Hades to translate Sheol. So did the authors, or did the translators, rather, of the Septuagint really want us to sort of bring ideas about Hades from Greek mythology into the meaning of Sheol? I don't think so. Uh, the It... it I think San Hades was again a place of uh, a torment and and judgment. So, the you see how these these ideas sort of get mixed in with one another on things. And and another thing about the term or the concept of Sheol was is that uh, clearly the Jews, particularly after the after the uh, Babylonian captivity and the restoration. Uh, had a, a clear, I think it goes back to Abraham, you know, Hebrews tells us Abraham thought uh, Isaac was going to be raised. So he had an idea of resurrection. But in these later years, the captivity and restoration, the idea of resurrection was was developed even more uh, among Jewish uh, ideas. And so Sheol had to be adjusted in their understanding about that and not as a place that was just terminal. Um, some, some did Sadducees, you know, of, uh, did not believe in the resurrection. So uh, some Jews, you know, just stuck with, uh, you know, the Sheol is the grave and that's it. Whereas others recognized that there were some openings there again, usually in the Psalms, some poetic sort of notions, but all of that said, David, I mean, it's very cloudy, right? I mean, what did they mean by Sheol in any particular passage where it's used? I think you're safe to think of it as the grave. You're also safe to think of it as a place uh, where, again, a, a person's soul might find repose of some kind. Uh, uh, so I try to get people to eliminate the idea of Hades. Uh, from that, you know. Now, when you get to the New Testament, um, 
you have Jesus teaching who taught more about hell than anybody else. Okay. Mm. And he talked about Gehenna. Now Gehenna was a place that was uh, on the outskirts. Now it's kind of central Jerusalem, but it was in the outskirts of the city. It was the garbage dump. It was also, it was a garbage dump. Second, it was first the place where uh, apostate Jews would sacrifice their children to Moloch. So it was a pretty terrible place. It had a very bad reputation. So you didn't mind putting a garbage dump on top of a place like that because you sort of wanted to sort of make it a place, a a terrible place. Uh, And so Gehenna became this uh, garbage dump. Well, like garbage has a tendency to do that isn't properly composted. It, it, it spontaneously combusts. So it would be on fire. So, you know, the, the Jews could look out from Jerusalem and see Gehenna was on fire. It was, it was burning. They became metaphorical then of hell. Um, and it's clear. I mean, you know, we could debate it some, but it's clear that Jesus believed in and taught a literal hell a place of fire, using Gehenna sort of as the, the metaphor for that, just something you could point to. So um, that then got mixed up again with these other terms. So where do where do the unbelievers go? They go to hell. Well, back to your question, how does Sheol and Hades relate to the intermediate state? I take it everything I've just said. I think uh, you have to be careful not to read things back into uh, earlier revelation. So, and you have to be careful not to allow simply because of terms that are the same. So, Sheol translated Hades. Hades is not the Greek. They, they did not think in terms of the Greek place of torment. Uh, but then, with what Jesus was teaching, a place of torment is a reality based on his teaching and understanding of that. So, um, yeah, that's the you know that's kind of like the the not short version of uh, how we are understanding Sheol and and Hades. Uh, I think again when it, it, Hades doesn't show up very much, but where it does, I think you can just sort of just keep it as a rule: do not import Greek notions yeah. in into that usage, yeah. and you'll yeah. you'll be on safer ground. Yeah, it's really helpful. Thank you. I mean, there's often pictures uh, painted about this intermediate state where there'll be loved ones who have who have died before us who'll be up there and they'll be aware of us and looking down and and you know <laughs> cheering yeah. us on in our life what are your thoughts yeah. on that kevin well you know you hear that a lot and as a pastor particularly at funerals or people that have more recently lost the loved ones than they will you know, when uh, when the granddaughter graduates, they say, well, uh, grandfather's looking down and he's smiling. I don't usually step in and say wrong. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, you got to be sort of sensitive in those kind of things. Uh, I think that's people. A lot of this sort of thinking will we'll touch on it a little bit more. It's just to make us feel better. It's just a sort of way of coping, in a sense, uh, with the loss uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, do I think that people are looking down on us? I've often thought, well, you know, if you think granddad's looking down on 
the graduation. Did you think about granddad looking down on you when you were stuck on traffic and you were <laughs> getting upset? What would granddad think about that? Well, we don't want to think that he was looking in on that part yeah. or, or, or other things even worse, of course. But uh, <laughs> no, I don't think there's any indication at all. I mean, again, even our parable that I mentioned earlier indicates that, no, there's no real conversation between uh, the two worlds you can't go be going back and forth uh, i don't think they are aware i don't think uh, uh I, I wish they were my mother-in-law was a big supporter of the supporter of the moody bible institute and she had already gone into the lord's presence before i taught there and i i just i wish she would have known that would have yeah. been really great you know and she might have wondered about moody at that point but nevertheless yeah. uh 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 but I don't think I don't think there's anything in Scripture that indicates that. Nor do we need to know. I mean, there is one in heaven who's looking down on us now, and he right. is quite aware of all of those kind of things. And uh, we should be thinking about not about Granddad looking down on us. We should think about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, knows, and uh, and His Spirit is with us. So, uh, whatever comfort that that sort of uh, uh, allows people, I think. Or fear, you know, in that regard, I think we should recognize that 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 should be appropriate. It's more appropriate to think of the Lord doing that. He's not aware. The intermediate state again is uh, there's a number of different things we could we could talk about uh, errors in that uh, more particularly. But uh, I, you know, I I try to get people to not think about that. Scripture doesn't really tell us much about that because we shouldn't be thinking about the intermediate state. I we should be thinking about the eternal state yeah. which again goes back to what we talked earlier the presence of the lord i want to be in the presence of the lord and know it okay i'm not sure i don't care about the place i'm just looking yeah. forward to that that's heaven for me yeah yeah and talking of such things kevin at what point are we giving our wings <laughs> great good way to put it david you know uh I did some research on that to try and figure out where in the world did this concept come from that we, number one, become angels, two, we're given our wings. And I I don't, I haven't really come up with anything satisfactory. I think where, in my view, and I could be wrong, I probably am. No, I am, you know, wrong on this. But if, from my perspective, I think it, it got popularized by uh, Frank Capra's movie, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, oh, yeah. if you're familiar with that. And uh, the angel Clarence gets his wings. And, uh, uh, you know, a every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. I, I don't, I've never heard or seen or, or been able to locate any kind of prior understanding to that. At least that's where it became, I think, very popular. Uh, and why, I have no idea. Uh we Jesus makes it very clear that uh, at one point uh, he said uh, we are neither given in marriage, uh, you know, offered in marriage. We don't have families in heaven the same way we have them here because he says we'll be like the angels. I don't I don't know that he means that we'll be genderless. I, you know, I don't know that we means our lifelong associations are going to be. I can't imagine getting to heaven and saying to my wife, hey. That was that was a great fifty plus years. See you in eternity. You know, yeah, I, I'll have a special relationship with her. I don't know what that's going to be, but we're not angels. We we don't become angels. We're going to be human beings. We're going to we're going to remain. We're going to have resurrected bodies. Uh, we we're not going to procreate. That's clear from what Jesus said. But 
uh, angels are entirely different class of beings than us. Uh, we're not, you know, so where does that, that idea come from? I think, again, it's, it's something where it's a nice thought and people said, Oh, Oh, good. Again, it's like the previous, uh, point that we just made he's up there looking down on us he's 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 sitting on a cloud with his harp and he's happy with us and all those kinds of uh, images i think it's it's meant to it's meant to be a comfort to us it's not scriptural at all where the idea of us sitting on a cloud with a harp comes from again i haven't been able to figure that one out except i have seen some cartoons that have that and i've seen i think it, it actually some some cartoons in uh some you know engravings and things from the victorian era which uh was very sentimental era uh, and even in in the uk you know they, they're very sentimental you know so how do how would we depict somebody looking down on us well what better way than from a cloud and just to make sure that he's not you know alive anymore he's got a harp again uh, why? <laughs> it's just a, it's just an image that became sort of set in the in our anglo english uh context of okay how do we depict somebody who's 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 gone on but can still see us again i think it's all meant to sort of make us feel better there's really no scriptural uh, warrant for it at all and of course what what these things do do is they make us take our eyes off of the lord right in in terms of that is exactly that is our great hope right the fact that we're going to be eternally with him and yeah these things end up you know clouding that view Right, exactly. Uh, you touched on this earlier on about the the um the judgment for for Christians. Will there be varying levels of punishment in hell, and also will there be varying levels of blessing in heaven? Well, uh, again, I do believe in a literal hell, and I do believe there will be uh, levels of punishment in hell. Uh, again, uh, from some indications that we have in Scripture, in terms of the you know. He'll, he will, Jesus said, he will receive the greater judgment, okay, uh, in a couple of instances. Again, related to his parables. As far as rewards, uh, again, uh, the, the, the New Testament speaks of different crowns that uh, we will receive. Uh, and uh, the crown of righteousness, uh, you know, different different crowns. The I think the operative question, though, is... Um, what difference will it make? Yes, there will be, but what difference will it make? And we're going to cast our crowns at Jesus' feet. So, uh, you know, it's not for personal, you know, I don't get to wear, you know, like my, my again, go back to graduation. You know, when I graduated, uh, I got m- my little gold cords, you know, some people get one, some two, some three. I, would, I had my little gold cords. I was very proud of myself, uh, you know, shouldn't have been. It was of the Lord, but nevertheless. Uh, years later, I found my son's playing with the cat, shredding those little gold cords to pieces. So I thought, well, that's that's a fitting conclusion to my great rewards. <laughs> they just become toys for the animals and the sons. But nevertheless, uh, again, once again, I don't think those things are meant for us. I do think there are different levels. I don't think they're meant for us to sort of try to figure out, you know, which ones they are, how many stripes I get or what rank I have or something like that. They're 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 not meant for them. Those are they're, they're meant for now. They're meant to tell us, you know, it's meant to be an encouragement to faithfulness. Now it's meant to be an encouragement to pursue the things of the Lord. Now, um, I think a lot of those kinds of issues. And again, you know, in terms of even punishment in hell, they're meant to sort of say the Lord is not 
completely uh, oblivious to you know the fact that some people are worse than others uh, and, and it will be appropriate everyone will receive appropriate but the the point is is that you know we're that's revealed to us so that we will be to encourage us to faithfulness now i don't think it will make any difference then i i don't think we're i don't think it I don't think anybody is at, at the judgment of a Christian is going to look at it and, and be jealous of somebody else's right. crown or reward or little cord or whatever you get. I, it'll be yeah. completely, uh, our, our minds will be so changed. We're not even going to care about that kind of stuff anymore. That's why, okay, give it to Jesus. That's all where it came from anyway. And in hell, I, I, I think the same thing. I don't think anybody's going to be at all relieved that they are not being punished as bad as somebody like, you know, pick the worst, you know, yeah. person in history, Genghis Khan. Okay. Uh, well, at least yeah. I don't have it as bad as him. I don't think anybody's going to think that. I mean, it's just even sort of ludicrous to think that. The The, the point is, is that uh, we should be aware of, this says something about God, that he is a God who understands uh, that some people are worse. And and he's a God that that is a God that does uh, honor uh, his servants, but there he honors his servants as the servants who are the most humble here. So how could how could you get a a reward for being humble in heaven right. yeah. <laughs> and not lose it the minute you get it? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, right. it's, it's, it's right. so. I think the uh, I think those things again need to be put in perspective. The, the whole perspective of what we're going to have there go clear back to an earlier point. Is going to be so different. We are going to be so changed. We are going to, our, our our whole perspective is going to be changed. Our our relationship with the Lord is going to be changed. Our our values are going to be finally brought into alignment with God. We're going to see things uh, as He sees them. We're 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 going to have more to know. There's more of God to know. There's more theology to know. That's what we'll be doing for all of eternity. So that's great. But in terms of a, a lot of these kind of questions that people have, like like here in the book, I've, I've tried to address them, but ultimately, uh, what I what I believe will happen, what I hope will happen, is somebody will get the book now, be encouraged, be 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 sanctified, uh, follow on Christ, and when they get to heaven, they're going to say, you know, a lot of what you said in that book is pretty irrelevant now. <laughs> okay, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, pretty irrelevant. In okay, good. That's fine. So yeah. I, I'm not going to take a copy with me and say, hey, did you read this on Earth? No, they won't care. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. So true, Kevin. Kevin, there are some believers that do not believe in hell and instead believe in annihilation, including some cults like Jehovah Witnesses as well. What does this mean and how do they come to that understanding from Scripture? Well, there. Let me just say annihilationism is a view that's sort of like uh, universalism in one sense. You, people become universalist. Everybody's going to go to heaven or people become annihilationist. Well, not everybody's going to go to heaven, but not, you know, people don't go to hell for eternity because it makes us feel better to believe that. Right. <laughs> you know, it just makes us feel better. It's a doctrine that I think is pretty, I mean, origin was the guy that came up with uh, universalism early on a church father because it's almost inevitable, isn't it? I mean, I it's hard to think about these things if you believe in in uh, eternal punishment. That's just very difficult doctrine to hold on to. Uh, 
for a lot of reasons. You know, it seems unfair. Uh, it, it for some people, it's like they don't want to think of God that way. I actually did an on a radio uh, debate with a, a fellow back when I was in Chicago, and he said, uh, "I just don't want to have a God like that." And I said, the, "I understand." The question is, do you get to make that decision? I mean, can we just pick the God that we want? Isn't that the problem with a lot of people today? They just pick the God that they want because it makes them feel better. It seems more fair. No. So I think, again, it's a very, I try to be sympathetic with people like that because I, I understand you're trying to come up with a better way to think about that. So you don't have to be harsh or mean or or make God to be unfair. Uh, that's not the question. The question is, what kind of God do you want? The question is, what does scripture say? As you, as you asked, you know, what does scripture have to say about that? Well, the annihilationist has... Um, a few arguments some are pretty specious uh you know in terms of going to the words you know uh, he's he's going to be destroyed uh he's going to be burnt up uh those kinds of things but again I, it, these are metaphors i'm not sure exactly you know there's going to be f- flames in hell but things aren't going to be consumed because it goes on forever i don't know how that works i mean i don't know the, i take it as a as a way of describing things that I can't really sort of scientifically sort of chemically even sort of explain. But the, the issue there is, is that what does, what does scripture actually say? And um, scripture does not give us any indication that this punishment is going to end. It speaks of it in terms of everlasting. In fact, if you think about it this way, David, from the standpoint of the fact that it's parallel, I by my faith in Christ and given eternal life. And the unbeliever is given eternal death. Well, I see the annihilation would say, well, see, there it is. Uh, death is just gone. He's gone. So it's, it's last for eternity that he's gone. I said, well, you don't, you don't understand. Again, go back to what I said earlier about death. Death is separation. So physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is separation of the soul from God, and eternal death is eternal separation, which means a state in which the eternal nature of the unbeliever's, I guess you could put it, non-relationship with God or relationship with God in terms of punishment is parallel to the believer's eternal relationship with God um, Mm -hmm. in his presence. So you you really can't, you know, monkey with the... uh, the exegetical and grammatical reality that eternal life, which is ongoing with God forever, is what we experience in eternal death, which is ongoing separation from God forever. Uh, us in bliss, them in punishment, is is what's being indicated in Scripture. Yeah. Once yeah. again, I I have to say, uh, I I know in, in this debate that I had with this fellow, he just came down to the end and I was going through scripture. He's taking his arguments. No, no, you can't take it that way. That's not what it's saying. And at the end, he said, uh, again, I I just can't believe in a God that would do that. And I said, you know what? I I think you need some more theology and you need some more humility in the sense that I I think that when I am in heaven, this kind of goes to another issue. Will people, how are we going to have no tears, no sorrow if we know that loved ones are in hell? And my answer to that is right now, I don't know. 
because I don't know how I could figure that out. The annihilationist had figured it out. Okay. Right. Well, they're gone. Okay. Nothing we can do now. Let's just praise God. Um, I don't think that helps, by the way, the individual, you know, that's lost, the unbeliever. Try that on an unbeliever. Well, yeah. you know, you're going to go to hell, but don't worry. It's not going to be forever. I don't think it, you know, yeah. anything that's helping the way they think. Again, from my standpoint, I think that when I get there and my mind is renewed and I have God's perspective on things, um, I'm I'm going to I'm going to uh, be able to not have tears or sorrow. I'll, I'll be able to have it from that perspective. Mark yeah. Dever, who you've had on the program uh, before, once told the account of a young man that came and wanted to be a member of his church, but didn't want to sign the doctrinal statement about hell because he thought he was uh, a yeah. And uh, yeah. Dever said, go home and read these books. You can't be a member yet. You got to sign the doctrinal mm-hmm. statement. And the man went home and, and did that and came back and he says, I do understand now uh, about uh, eternal punishment. He says, I guess I, I put that aside. This is what scripture teaches. But the, and this was the young man's testimony to Dever. So maybe you should get him to relate it to you. But he said, the young man said to Mark Dever, and and something's happened. The cross of Christ is sweeter to me now. Yeah. When I realize what Christ paid for by his death on the cross for me, yeah. you know, uh, it it does say what what I needed was an infinitely perfect righteous sacrifice in my behalf, because even my sin deserves an infinite punishment and christ took that for me and uh i think you know we want to be careful that while we're trying to sort of relieve the character of god from something that unbelievers might consider to be unfair oh let's be annihilationist that you diminish the work of christ uh for what he's done for us Uh, the punishment that i deserved in hell for eternity christ took that for me on the cross that's good. I don't understand that. I, I've got less understanding of that than I have an understanding of eternal punishment of the wicked. But that yeah. that for grace is uh, is the perspective. Then. And that's just maybe, David, just a taste of how we might be able to sort of reorient our minds when we're there on this subject. So. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. I think Steve Lawson, uh, who you mentioned earlier on, he talks about when you go to a jewelry shop, um, and you're about to buy a diamond ring. They bring out the black cloth, don't they, to put the diamond ring on top of it. You know, and it really brings it out. Yeah. It's similar, isn't it, to what you're saying? You know, it's that, it's that yeah. backdrop of, of knowing our sin and the punishment that we've been saved from. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what will our relationship be and how will we interact with all three persons of the Trinity in heaven? Well, as I said, that that's this is this is the glory of heaven, right? I mean, we get to we get to we get to be there. And I think, which is the 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 meaning of human existence, I think uh, I've always said, you know, this is a this is a big question. Why am I here? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, that's that's it. We're made to have a relationship with God that brings him glory. That's it. Okay, Uh, sin has interrupted that uh, process of uh, the, the, the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us is what restores that. So in. What are we going to have? Well, the medieval theologians spoke a lot about the beatific vision um, of being able to see God. And we know from Scripture that no one can see God at any time. 
and live, but we'll already be dead. Why not see God then? I tell people, well, and people are disappointed in this. When we get to heaven, you will not get to see the Father. The Father is a spirit. <laughs> we will be resurrected bodies. We won't get to see the Father. And that, but that, I, I always tell people that's going to be okay because we will get to see Jesus. Yeah. Um, and if you say, Jesus, I want to see the Father, Jesus will say, go talk to Philip, because I've already explained it to him. <laughs> he has seen me, has seen the Father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the goal of human existence is to have to be in the presence of the almighty, sovereign God. The Father who planned my salvation from eternity past. The Son who accomplished my salvation on the cross and the spirit who applied my salvation when he when he brought me to himself and our relationship with the trinity will be um enabled empowered by that spirit to focus on Christ to the glory of God the father and yeah. that's that's our relationship it's going to be trinitarian for all of eternity so, yeah. like I said, what we're going to be doing is worshiping God. Well, we wouldn't be there to do that except for the work of Christ. We wouldn't be able to do that except for the work of the Spirit. And it wouldn't be acceptable except in the Father's eyes, he sees us in the righteousness of Christ and accepts our worship in the empowerment of the Spirit. So uh, our our worship now needs to be Trinitarian. Our worship there will be Trinitarian. We are going to we'll come to a, a greater, I don't think we'll come to a greater understanding because I don't think ever, anybody's ever going to understand the Trinity. Oh, when we get to heaven, we'll understand everything. No, not everything. <laughs> and the, and and God is like, I've always said, God is, you know, the attributes of God that he reveals to us in scripture are not, the, they're not all the attributes of God. He's in, infinite. So what we, again, what do we get to do? We get to learn more about God. Mm. We'll be able to see more, we'll, we'll see deeper and clearer and and this will go on for eternity. The the person and work of Christ inexhaustible, and 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 the Spirit will be eternally willing to keep teaching us. You know, He's going to be the the Paraclete that's never going to leave us, and He'll keep right. teaching us for all of eternity. And He'll have a easier time of it because we're going to be less resistant and no sin. Yeah. You know, He He can't wait. This I this is anthropomorphic the spirit can't wait for us to be in heaven either because then we'll be easier to deal with right yeah that's what it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be all about god uh it's going to be all about christ it's going to be all in the spirit uh you know we are there with the trinitarian god for all of eternity yeah kevin before we take a quick break i think it would be fitting for me to ask you what is the only way for us to go to heaven <laughs> very good <laughs> Well, again, um, because of this death, death itself is a punishment. We know we're all going to die. Uh, this is kind of what's behind Paul's, you know, treatise in Romans five. We all we're all going to die. The question is, okay, why do we die? Is it just a natural thing? The answer is no. The wages of sin is death. We die because every single death that you ever see. You should think sin. There it is. Yeah. That person died from sin, whatever the clinical definition was. That death is um, the culmination of the 
spiritual death that we have had since we've fallen in Adam. Again, in Adam all die, Romans 5. We're separated from God. In his utter grace and fathomable grace, God has chosen to not let that be the eternal death for a host of those whom he is calling to himself um, from the foundation of the world in Christ. The way we become aware of that for ourselves is we must repent of our sin. We must acknowledge our sin. We got nothing. We got nothing. I, a fellow once asked me when I was being a member at, at the church here, why should why should God let you into heaven? I said, the blood of Christ. That's it. He said, well, what about this? What about that? I said, the blood of Christ. That's all we get. We get yeah. nothing but the blood of Christ. Trust Christ. I confess your sin. Trust that Christ is the only Savior in the world, the only one who can save us from our sin. Trust him. And if you find your understanding becoming a little fuzzy there, ask the Spirit of God to do that for you. Just, you know, ask the Spirit of God, you know, open my eyes that I may see. Trust Christ and trust Christ alone uh, on the basis of God's grace and God's grace alone and not because you're trying to escape hell, by the way, that wouldn't be a good enough motivation, not be simply because you want a better life now, uh, yeah. but because you have understood that the whole point of human existence is to get glory to God. So for God's glory alone. Um, and in that trusting, you will understand then the rest of your Christian life. But then, but then the culminating glory is uh, you will be taken in his presence and saved and go to heaven. Yeah. But given that's absolutely brilliant. We're going to take a very quick break. Given, Before this has been a wonderful uh, time. I've really appreciated your time and I've enjoyed thoroughly listening to you talk about the book invitation series and ICL as well. Before you uh, go, take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let everybody know how they can keep in touch with you on social media. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not somebody who's very well known and I don't really aspire to be. So to be invited to be on your podcast was a real honor. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and uh, there will be some more books coming out. So if you know, you should uh, your readers should uh, you said you're going to make a link. You should check out the ICL series. Uh if you go to Grace to you or the Grace Church rather, if you go to the Grace Community Church website, uh, I've preached a few times there on different subjects. So you might have to go through uh, both in uh, Grace Life Fellowship Group and in the Anchored Fellowship Group. So uh, if anybody wants to follow up a little bit more that way, um, I'm uh, I'm pretty spotty on uh, on social media to be honest. Uh, you know uh, after. Uh, you know, uh, the some of the political stuff that goes on here. I don't get on X or formerly Twitter uh, too much anymore. I generally go in to check that out, but I do have a Facebook page and I'm not, I don't try to keep it quiet. So, uh, you know, uh, anybody that gets on Facebook and uh, and then has Facebook Messenger, if you want to, you know, do that, that's fine. Also, email kzuber uh, at tms.edu. And uh, again, I'm not. Like I say, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not really famous, so I don't try to hide myself too much, and uh, and, and I'm pretty good about uh, trying to get back, you know, with emails and things like that. Students will tell you. So uh, if anybody 
you know, wants to contact me, uh, email is probably the best way. Very good. I just hope you don't get an increase in spam email now, Kevin. If you do, <laughs> if you start getting signed up for all sorts of mailing lists, let me know and I'll make sure that we edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, the you know, the thing there is, is that uh, uh, the the uh, TMS uh, IT guy has that pretty well locked down. So you know, <laughs> I, I don't get email from some of my old friends. I emailed you. Oh, I said, I didn't get it. You know, right. <laughs> We're very good. We're Kevin. I'm going to find your Twitter link, uh, your Facebook page. Um, I'm going to find the sermons as well that you mentioned on Grace uh, to you. Um, I'll make sure there's links to all of those things. Obviously, the book as well, and the teaching series on ICL. Um, Kevin, keep in touch. Next time when you publish your next book, we'd have to we'd have to try and arrange to get you back on again so that we can talk about that as well. That'd be yeah. really good. Well, it should be it it should be up on Amazon real soon. So, uh, okay, I'm becoming a worthy reader. Yeah. And it's grace, not grace to you. I misspoke there. The sermon, oh, my sorry, sermon okay. Grace Church. So Grace Church. Well, I'll find grace. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again for your time. Brilliant. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Well, have a good evening.